canine condition. Come, sit, stay. Welcome to the Canine Condition Podcast. My name is Jacqueline Pignol. I am an actor, documentary filmmaker, and animal rescue advocate. The Canine Condition Podcast is a platform to bring awareness to dog adoption and to provide all dog lovers and pet owners with information and resources on how to raise a healthy and well-balanced dog. If you are thinking about getting your first dog or just want to know where and how you can help a dog in need, this is also a place for you. This is an episode about a very special breed to many, many people, and also a breed that is mistreated and wrongfully judged by many, many people. Because I believe that these canine beings are born inherently good and that the human species is responsible for the journey each one of these souls has on this earth, I hope you will welcome the information and stories shared by my guest on the podcast today. She has over a decade of experience spending time with this breed while witnessing the human transformations that occur when people are paired with and bonded to their loyal and loving bulldog breed dogs. It is my pleasure to welcome Becky Holly from Fresno Bully Rescue. Becky is a board member and the events and public relations coordinator for this nonprofit dog rescue organization based in California. Fresno Bully Rescue makes it their mission to safely adopt out dogs and offer support to their community and adopters by keeping lines of communication open and offering support with family pets wherever it's needed. Hi, Becky. Welcome to the Canine Condition Podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I am so happy that I am going to get to talk to you about the Bully Breed Rescue today. So as a Bully Breed-specific rescue, break it down for us in terms of what dogs fall under the specific breed type and why people should not take that word bully at face value. Bully breeds are basically just anything that comes from like a bulldog um, background. So we have American Pit Bull Terriers, which which have some bulldog in them. We have American Bulldogs, English Bulldogs. We'll take in some Boxer mixes, some Mastiff mixes. Basically those like large power breeds with, you know, the square jaw and um, the strong body. That's what we'll take in. Um it's kind of funny when, when I wear my t-shirt or we go to things, a lot of people think that we're talking about bullies as far as children. And I'm like, right. <laughs> I'm all for that too. I'm all for that too. But this is, you know, bully breeds. So Right. Don't um, bully my breed. I've seen that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. And do you have a pit bull type or a bully breed dog of your own? And, and if so, what drew you to this wonderful breed? Oh, yes. I have two at home now. I have Cooper, who is 11 years old, and I have Jax, who is three. Um, and they, they get along quite well. They're, they're both awesome dogs. What drew me to the breed was I had friends that had some, and I really didn't pay attention. And then I kind of was a little fearful of them, even though I grew up with large breeds. A little bit fearful just because of what I heard in the media and on TV, and it was always the worst. Um, and then one of my friends called me, and a dog was injured outside of the dentist office that she works at and she asked me to come because no one would come pick up the dog and take him to go get medical treatment because he was a pit bull and I thought that is terrible (laughs) like he needs help so I went over there 
I got them. I made a makeshift muzzle because I was still a little concerned. <laughs> a makeshift muzzle out of their gloves. <laughs> I put him in my truck and he immediately laid his head on my lap and took the muzzle off and rode all the way to the vet like that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I ended up keeping him, naming him Doc because I got him at the doctor's office. <laughs> and um, my veterinarian, when I got there, there was some serious damage um, about an inch and a half groove in his neck, either from a collar that had been embedded or the vet thought maybe more so he had been on a chain or something, either trying to get away from something or pulling and barking at something or being agitated to where that chain just dug in constantly. So it was, yeah, it was a bunch of, um, we didn't do stitches because of infection, but it was debridements every day. It was me scrubbing this open, huge wound on this poor dog every day, and he never cared. And my vet said, you know what? I asked him, do you need to muzzle him for what we're doing? And he said, no, I don't. I don't muzzle these types of dogs because they're wonderful. They're resilient. They, they're so human friendly that I don't worry about it, and they rarely bite me or react. So that got me really interested. I put Doc, at the time I had five other dogs, I put him with my five other dogs, and he got along famously. And the only the only thing I would say about his personality that was maybe detrimental, but not really, was my friend's kids would come over and swim. He could care less if adults were in the pool and were swimming, but when children were there, he was so protective. He wanted them out of the pool. So he would grab them by the ponytail, by the suit. Oh. He just, he needed them out of that pool. He was so worried about them. He actually meant well. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, and I've come, I've come to learn that about the breed, that when it comes to children, they're, they're amazing. They are amazing. I have, well, as you know, I don't know if you've seen my posts, but I have yes. five. <laughs> yes, yes. Mixes. And, um, and you're talking to a girl who grew up here uh, afraid of dogs. Um, I wouldn't get near one well till after college because right. I just, um, I was bit by a German Shepherd as a kid. So, you know, and this is part of my journey in this, the documentary that you well know we have been working on for a few years is that. I really believe in change and transformation and kind of being enlightened by something. And that's why I advocate for this breed so much now, because they really turned my world around. It's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. You wouldn't believe the amount of people that come out to our rescue that are either just super curious but fearful, and they come out to kind of face their fears. So oh. I I tell anybody, if, if, if you have a fear or you just – the unknowns about this breed, the best thing you can do is go to somewhere with responsible, you know, handlers and, um, and good dogs and go get around some. And, and you'll realize that all of the negative, you know, hype is just, it's, it's not the truth. So you really get to learn and, and the dogs are the best way for people to learn um, about their true nature. They, they show it every day. It's the terrible cases, the accidents that make the news, but there are accidents with every breed. It's just that every breed doesn't make the news. That's right. Um, news is sensational by nature. They, they need viewers and it's tragic. No matter what breed, they're supposed to be, you know, just our loving companions and part of our families. And for the most part, they are. Um, but sometimes circumstances happen. We've had some, it was a few years back, a friend of mine had called the police department because two huskies had gotten loose and attacked her and her dog pretty badly. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Same day, a pit bull got loose in the same neighborhood and didn't do anything. And they had him on the news. 
because he was loose in the neighborhood. (laughs) And people were frightened. It was incredible. I'm like, here we have an actual attack, which brings no concern, you know, and then and then we have just a dog running loose. And that that was the story for the day. It was it was really incredible to to put I had never had those two things happen, like at the very same time or the very same day before and really watch how that developed. But they're interesting, just like, just like, you know, any, let's say, quote, dangerous animal is interesting. People are fascinated by sharks, but they're also fearful of them. So if, if you can, if you can mix that fascination with with some real experience, then you kind of change minds. People really do have to experience it. There's no other way. So I think, you know, that's why we're, we are so big on adopting animals out into the community that we feel responsible for. So we want good socialized temperament. We want good temperament dogs to go out into the community. Number one, we are responsible for what we put out in the community and to keep people safe. But number two, we want all of the dogs that we adopt out to be advocates. Yes. So that when people do see them at the park or walking or in the neighborhood, they show the best of what this breed is, and which is friendly. And loyal and dedicated and social. I've never had a more loyal dog. I've owned so many breeds um, in my lifetime, and I have never had a more loyal dog that just wants to be around you constantly. And unfortunately for this breed, a lot of people who aren't responsible in a lot of areas of their life are drawn to them. So you you have some irresponsible ownership all the way around. So um, I try really hard to advocate for responsible and I mean over the top responsible ownership of this breed because should something happen that may happen with regular dogs and regular breed, it's heightened 10 times when it comes to this breed. Yeah, I agree. And I've seen it. And I came across my dog 10 years ago. She's almost 11. And she was a full-grown Great Dane pity mix. But you could really see she's a pity, gray and white. I had never been around a dog like her. But there was something in her eyes and her demeanor. I wasn't afraid for one second, Becky. That's amazing. And I've never gotten that close to that dog. But she was on the streets. She walked into a party that I was at, <laughs> and she was no one's dog. And there I was knocking on doors in the neighborhood find, trying to find her owner. We never did. We posted signs. We took her to the shelter. We had her scanned at a uh, local vet clinic for microchip nothing. And long story short, after many, <laughs> yes. you know, many tries yeah. at trying to find her owner, even though she was skinny, she was not spayed. So we could tell, hey, this isn't, she was probably a backyard dog. This isn't, you know, a well taken care of animal inside a family home. Right. We ended up fostering for a rescue and, of course, foster failing. Yes, and yes. it is the best foster fail in my entire life. <laughs> yes. Fostering is so important, and and you know what? It, I don't think people really understand that there's there's so many ways that you can give back that aren't you know monetary. You you can foster, and that's one of the best ways to decide whether a dog fits with your home and your lifestyle. Um, right. If, if they don't, then you know you can wish them well when they're adopted by another family that does. Um, and if they do fit, you can be a foster fail like you did. Exactly. And, you know, you can be a temporary foster. When we offered to foster for the rescue, even though they were helping us get her out of the shelter because we were really advocating for her, we said, can we do it for two weeks? We'd never done it before with a large breed dog. We had our two pugs at home. And they said, sure, let's try it for two weeks and see how it goes. Well, two weeks turned into four, and then she was ours. (laughs) So there you have it. Yep. Familiar story that I love to hear. 
And since the rescue is located in Fresno, can you tell us what the layout of the land is like there, more rural or metropolitan or a mix? Um, this is for people who may not be familiar with that part of California. Sure. Uh, Fresno County, we're actually in Fresno County, and it, it's a huge county in the central part of California, inland. So it's it's basically agriculture, um, tons of small farming towns. Fresno is a very large city itself, though, with about 550,000 people. It rivals Sacramento, if people know where that is. So Fresno is a pretty large city, but it's still kind of spread out. Fresno County is huge. It's about... Eh, it, there is about a million people that live in Fresno County alone. And Fresno County is about 6,000 square miles. And it's everywhere from the mountains, the, the, the Sequoia and the Sierra National Forest, all the way to the foothills going to the, the central coast of California. It's a huge county. But yeah, it's basically, it's a huge mix. Okay. So you have a little bit of both worlds. And where do all these wonderful dogs that the rescue posts for adoption come from? Um, the majority of our dogs come from municipal shelters in our area. Um, we actually pull dogs from shelters all over California, um, but we really do try to concentrate where we are. We've made some great relationships with different municipal shelters. Um, our, our local Fresno County shelter is one of our best partners. But we'll take dogs from up and down the state. We do take some owner surrenders depending on the circumstance. Our primary focus is on dogs that will be euthanized for, for space or, you know, for no other reason than there's, they're not adopted yet and there's nowhere for them to go or, or they've got a medical condition that makes them unadoptable, a municipal shelter. So we really want to take from those high kill shelters first, but owners need help too. So we will take in owner surrenders and we will take in even animals from the community as long as the person that finds the animal has done their due diligence and and tried to find the owner and put in, you know, reports at our local animal control and other shelters and really done their their homework to make sure that this dog is not owned because, you know, we're in the business of taking care of animals that are either not owned or have nowhere to go. And if, if they have a family, we definitely are, are, our first thing is to get them back there. Are the shelters in your area always full? Um, is it something where they reach out to you because they're saying, Fresno Bully Rescue, help us. We're full. We don't want to euthanize. Can you come take a look at the dogs? Oh, yes. There are times when we get hundreds of requests per day. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yes. We we wow. have, I think, one or, or two-day period, we had 350 requests. Oh, my gosh. And these are good dogs. These, oh yeah, gosh, it, we're, we're sure. not talking... Yeah, we're not talking serious behavioral issue. We're just talking there's too many. And in our area, it's unlike Northern California, which it has a little bit better track record at um, span neuter and a little less concentrated in their shelters. But ours, unfortunately, um, just I think due to the area, due to lack of holding facilities and shelters and education in our area, we're kind of behind the rest of California. Okay. Um, we're trying to help with that. But yes, every single one of our shelters is absolutely jam-packed, even though we'll send animals north. What kind of support do you think is needed? Education and assistance. 
Education is huge. We're dealing with definitely long-term lack of education, long-term. There's cultural barriers, there's language barriers. And, you know, we do, we do have large populations of agricultural workers. So we do have a lot of migrant workers and, and, and we do have more so than the more metropolitan areas like Los Angeles or San Francisco. We have our, our lower income base. And that's, that's nothing to say that they're irresponsible. But when you're trying to feed your children and clothe yourself and get gas to even go to work that day, spaying and neutering your animal is really at the bottom of the list, as, as it should be. Right. So I think what we're really needing in this area is education mixed with assistance and and just basically take all those excuses away we really need um, span neuter to be either free or very low cost which we're working on and education to go with it because education alone doesn't help if someone can't afford it and then free doesn't help if someone doesn't know how to do it or or they can't get transportation there we really need all those just basic assistance for people to where like i said we take away every excuse and, and I've seen it work. We have a local, our local Fresno County Animal Control Agency is now run a group of people that came together out of the rescue community to say, you know what, we're sick of complaining about it. We're sick of just, you know, trying to lobby our local politicians and government and seeing nothing done. So, you know, they brave people just went out and said, look, it, we'll do it ourselves. Awesome. Yeah, they have gone down um, Fresno County, Fresno City's still at around 60% euthanasia rate, which is insane. Gosh, that's a lot. Yeah, it's insane. But the county before, it's called Fresno Humane, and before Fresno Humane Animal Services took over, we had 65 to 70% kill rate in the county. Absolutely insane to think about that in these days and times. But they have actually made it to be no kill status. Wow. And that was simply because of of space, just lack of space or lack of resources to maintain that many dogs? Yep. Uh, Lack of resources, lack of actual will to get them to other rescues, to get them actually out of this area or to make it a community effort. So Fresno Humane, which we love working with them at Fresno Bully Rescue, they make it a community effort. If if you have no community buy-in, then you're just going to get the same thing over and over again. It doesn't matter what you say. Preaching doesn't work. There's always going to be those people that you can't or won't, they won't listen and you can't reach. But the community as a whole, we have a lot of animal lovers here. They're just, you know, they're waiting for someone to take that laboring oar and tell them what to do, ask them for the help and and let them know how they can do it. I mean, it's a community problem. It, dogs aren't just living stray down by the river and strolling into town once in a while. Those are those dogs were owned by someone in the community and someone in your own neighborhood. Wow. So if you want to be part of the solution, we need some community buy-in. We need community people too. Maybe you found a dog instead of the shelter like we've always done. Our, our, our city pound, I would say, is more of a pound. Still lack of education. Still just drop off the dog and we'll euthanize it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So th- what we're trying to do in the county is just make it a little more, a lot more progressive to where if you find a dog, we're going to ask you the questions. We're going to ask you, you know, can you keep it for a week until we maybe find the owner? If you have a litter of kittens, can we, can we spay and neuter them for you? Can we give them shots for you? Can we give them parasite control for you? How can we help you 
keep these animals in your community, but keep everyone safe and keep the animals from overpopulating because we have a huge crisis here. The overpopulation problem is insane. Between the city and the county, it's, it's less now because of the county, but um, euthanize on average 30,000 animals a year. Oh, my. And yeah. just in that county. Yep. And just basically city animals right now. For no reason other than, like you said, just too many and not enough homes that Absolutely. are responsible with them. Absolutely. And, and you know, you have to look at it this way, too. And when we speak with government officials, we don't, I would say in California, we're doing pretty well. But in, in a lot of places, and especially here, we don't have a big lobby. So in order to get government resources or, or just community resources, it, it's a fight. It's a struggle. And and, and that's understandable when, when you're talking to government officials and their focus is on voters, their focus, those are humans, right? So we need a larger lobby. We need, we need people who really care about animals to get a little more involved. You know, it, it, it's hard. A lot of people in rescue, that's their passion and it's hard and it's heartbreaking. But, you know, we could use a lot more people just behind us. Right. It's hard to accept that those of us who advocate always feel like we need more and we need more and we need more people. And yet there are so many people behind this great cause and we're still not enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't know if we just need to be more vocal or if we just need to start. I mean, that's one thing that I do when I when I speak with local politicians or local leaders. It's, you know, the, the spaying and neutering, lowering the population. It, it's not just to help all the animals, it's it's a health and human services issue. Absolutely it is. We all agree. Stray dogs running around can bite. They can chase children. Nothing good comes from that. And, you know, they can spread diseases. You know, we don't have a huge rabies problem here, but we have others. So it's just, it's, it's not just an animal problem. It's not just, oh, I love fuzzy, beautiful animals. You know, I love animals. It's if you want your streets safe, you want your kids to be able to walk home from school and be safe, then you can't have a population of stray animals running loose. And Fresno Bully Rescue has a facility, you know, in addition to foster homes. So you're at least able to take um, larger numbers of dogs. Um, I know, and for our listeners who don't know, um, I was able to visit Becky at the previous facility for Fresno Bully Rescue, and you gave me a tour of the place. I met some wonderful dogs, but I haven't been to the new facility. So give us a little breakdown on how it works in 2021 for the dogs at the new facility and those in foster homes. Oh, it's it, it's been amazing. Um, we worked hard, scrimped and saved, and really just worked super hard. And we now have a brand new facility. When you visited us, um, we had pretty much five by ten kennels in a back parking lot <laughs> of a home. We had one play yard, so now we have a three acre beautiful facility that's park like oh, three acres. Yes, so we now <gasps> have five play yards. Um, okay. And we house pretty much around the same t number of dogs. We house around 40 dogs at any given time. And people ask, well, why didn't you put in more kennels? Why didn't you do more? Well, we are want to be more of an adoption facility where it short stays. We don't want dogs to live with us forever. We want them to get homes. So being able to spend more time with them, either socializing, taking care of um, medical cases that really need care. If we take in too many, I can't properly commit to the ones I've already promised. So we, we made a decision to still keep it small 
because no matter how many wonderful volunteers we have, and we have a lot, it takes a lot to make sure that 40 dogs are properly exercised every single day. And fed and kept up with medical. Mm -hmm. Yes, every day. So it takes a lot just to do those 40. So we'd rather focus on getting their needs met, truly assessing them temperament-wise and finding the perfect home for them more quickly and, and being able to have more turnover rather than just housing dogs, you know, for a, a longer length of time. And and it's been working so well. We have to make some, some tough decisions sometimes on temperaments of certain dogs to where we can't fully commit to one that's going to take a year's worth of training and socialization just to maybe even be safe. So the one that's sitting there that has a perfect temperament and is lovable is no less deserving. So really have to put our focus on ones that can go into a home rather quickly because that's our goal. That's difficult. You know, your heart and your head have to combine. And um, we've received some really good compliments from enforcement in our area saying, you know, we, we rarely have to do, well, never have to do anything with you guys because you police yourselves. And we have a lot of rescues that don't. So it, it, it is important that you do that, the compassion part with a mix of, okay, some business sense and what are we going to do to get these animals into a safe place? And I, you know, I respect that. I know that our heart wants to save every single one of them. But I do respect the fact that you're not going to take more dogs because then it just becomes a shelter. Then you're just yeah. becoming like a shelter, having a bunch of dogs live there for a really long time in you know, kennels or in a scenario where it's volunteers helping them out. So that's not what you are. And, and so I can see that you have to draw the line somewhere. You do. You do sometimes. We still take in dogs with issues. We still take in dogs that need um, severe medical care. In fact, we're, we're one of the places where people call, you know, if they have one that needs some, you know, we're talking thousands and thousands of dollars of surgery, we will commit to that more often than maybe some others. So we are extremely lucky and so grateful for a really big base of people who support us. So we're able to do those things. That's wonderful. Yeah. So that's one of those things that we've always strive to do is not overextend ourselves to where that wouldn't be possible or that animals in our care aren't receiving what they need. Right. Especially because you've chosen to be that breed specific. And we're talking about these bulldog type dogs that need so much advocacy and protection. And like you said earlier, to go out into the community and be in homes and stay safe because they have to be advocates for the breed. So you turn them over as model citizens. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just wouldn't feel right if I didn't provide the, the best veterinary care, you know, the best nutrition, the best socialization and training that I could for each dog because I've overextended myself. I It's kind of like I've, I've committed to these dogs and they deserve my best. I, I want them to go into homes quickly, but I've, I've made that commitment. And if I take in too many, then my commitment to them you know, my, my commitment or my ability to give them my best lessons. And, and I can't do that. So we've done that. And it's actually been so successful. We are seeing so many more families come 
families with children, families with other animals. Um, they're seeing now that it's possible to have these dogs in a family environment with other animals, with small children, to take them on vacations, to take them on trips and really, Absolutely. really see them as individuals. So, and, and that's the big thing is everyone says, oh, well, pit bulls are this way or pit bulls are that way. Or what is it like owning one? I'm like, it's a dog. And, and each of them is an individual. We cannot look at them as a breed and say, just like people, I, I, I may look a certain way. I, I'm a certain gender. I'm a female. A lot of the things that I think of, the way I live or whatever, might surprise you. So I think, you know, it's it's the same thing with dogs. You cannot pigeonhole them. You, each of them is an individual with their own unique, you know, experiences, their own unique background, their own personality. And you really have to look at it that way. Absolutely. In just my little pack, I can tell you the personalities are very different and they're all amazing. But, you know, I have the wild child. I have the stubborn one. I have the one who can't get enough hugs and kisses and it just is always in your face. <laughs> so they're yes. all just so unique. And it's wonderful to know that if people are willing to take a chance and come and meet them at Fresno Bully Rescue, that you're into advocacy and education. Absolutely. And when we take our dogs places at, at events, either locally here in the community or we've gone to various pet experts. All, all over California from San Jose um, down to like Costa Mesa in Southern California. And people are just so drawn to these dogs. And it, it's just so amazing to see everybody come and our, our booth be one of the most popular. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, they've become a popular breed. And, and now they, they used to be a popular breed just for, let's say, a section of society, like I said, that maybe is a little less than responsible. And they were drawn to them because they were strong or they looked they looked fierce or that sort of and thing. they're but, loyal. Yes. You know, people took advantage of the fact that this breed is very loyal Absolutely. and very obedient if you teach it to obey certain things. Yeah, they'll do, they'll do almost anything you ask them. And, and that's the thing without question, including dog fighting. Are there laws in your county to protect dogs from that scenario, from being left outside as well or living on chains, which then leads to other scenarios that are not favorable? Actually, California has some really good laws on the books. I mean, they, of course, for me, don't go far enough. But um, we have some laws, you know, under the penal code, dogs or any companion animal livestock needs to have, you know, water, sufficient water, food, shelter, tethering in California. It can only be for a short time to a stationary object. Let's say I'm working in my yard and I tie my dog to the tree while I'm pulling weeds. That's okay in California. Tying them to a stationary object as a means to contain them is not. Um, it's a specific amount of time, which is I think an hour or two that they can be tethered that way. They can be on a line you know, but you, chaining dogs is illegal in, in California. Um, definitely withholding, you know, water, food, those kind of things is neglect. Um, not usually is like a misdemeanor, but if it, if it rises to the level of no vet care and that sort of thing, then it can be felony. Or exposed to the elements. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. That can be a felony. In, in Fresno County, we have, again, Fresno Humane Animal Services has been lobbying and working so closely with the county administrators to really put some teeth in the laws and maybe make some laws that make sense, not overly invasive or privacy concerns for people and that sort of thing. They did manage to get it on the books and ordinance to where if your dog goes into the shelter because it's running loose, if it goes into the shelter... If it's not licensed, you have 
the option to either license the dog or have it altered. Before getting the dog back? Yes. Mm -hmm. Before getting the dog back. Now, it's not mandatory yet to where, oh, it has to be, if they catch it, you know, running at large, that it's it's altered immediately. I wish that was the law. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. I, I, I think that could save a lot of problems. Yes. Um, but that's also a lot of money for a city or county to do too. I know. It's not impossible. No, it's not impossible. And a lot of areas in California have done it. So it, it's it's possible. But we're we're maybe just not there yet as far as where we are. But that option and then I think it's after three times, I think I could be wrong about that. Don't quote me. But after three times, let's say your dog is running at large, even if you have it licensed, county animal control shelter can alter it Okay. before returning it to you. And, you know, a, a lot of people don't like that idea or they don't like the idea of mandatory spay and neuter because people will just say, oh, I don't want it anymore and leave it at the shelter. And and that's but that's kind of a price you have to pay. Yes. For changing some minds. I, I would rather see more like public service announcements, maybe more more the county invest in some more um, signage. I had one say, you know, like code enforcement signs saying you have to spay and neuter your dog or you have to contain your dog. I'm like those things are punitive. When, when we look at only punitive measures, it, it doesn't change any minds. It makes people set their jaw and dig in. So I'd rather just have it subliminally. If someone passes a cute sign every day with a little dog, you know, behind a fence saying, contain your animals, keep your community safe. You pass by that every day. It's in your head, but it's not so like aggressive, so punitive. So the government is telling you to, you know, exactly. keep your dog inside. I think I think it's just much better to just kind of have it out in the community floating and, and have it as something that eventually people are going to consider as normal. And and I'd like to see more of that. I wish people could see it not like the government's telling you what to do, but it's like, hey, my community wants this for all of us. Yep. So let's all do this together. Yes. And, and community events here are extremely, number one, popular, and number two, just I you'd be amazed. So I grew up in a very, very small uh, farming community in this area, it's a town called Firebaugh. And through Fresno Humane and with some help of another rescue called Westside Rescue, we set up a vaccination clinic in Firebaugh, which is heavily migrant, you know, workers and people like that. So I thought I didn't have much faith and I, I should have known better because I grew up in a wonderful community, but I thought no one's going to show up. I don't think they're going to. We got there and there were so many people lined up that, really? oh my gosh, we gave away so many tags and I made like flyers telling people where to find their dog if it gets loose and they can't find it because a lot of people don't even know. They think they can go to the police department. Well, they have a holding facility there. They have a shelter, but nobody knows it. So we kind of just gave out some educational materials like that um, in both English and Spanish and then did the vaccinations. And while we're doing that, you really get to talk to people about their animals. It's very low cost. We ran out of vaccinations. We had so many people. That's awesome. Yeah. But at the same time, it gives you, it, you can't just sit back and say, I wish the community would do that. Go talk to them. We talked to so many people and we offered span neuter assistance with transportation. I think over 35 people signed up that day. So we spayed and neutered 35 animals from that tiny community 
just by talking to people, just by explaining to them what the procedure is and making it affordable, making it easy. We did the transportation. We took your dog. You got it back the very next morning, spayed. And, and it was so good for me to see that. But, but you have to realize, like I said, if you want community buy-in, you have to provide a service. So the vaccination was the kind of the, you know, carrot. <laughs> An invitation, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was the assistance that people needed. And then you just open up a larger conversation. So I, I really love community events like that. And I think they're so important. And I love that you also said you provided um, material in Spanish. I know that for the Spanish-speaking community and myself being a Latina, having grown up with parents who came from Colombia and Guatemala and grandparents who did not learn English and lived in those countries, it's really important to show them how we do things here. You know, my grandparents from Guatemala never came to the United States, but my dad, having come from that background, you know, dogs were raised differently and treated differently, or they belonged to the streets, or they belonged in the backyard or on the terrace. Mm -hmm. So here, it's different, and I just love that providing the literature and the education in Spanish People want that. Yeah. My community, I've seen my Latino community be interested in learning new ways to do things, but not if they feel threatened or if they feel belittled or embarrassed. It's nice how you're saying that it's inviting them. Yeah. There, there's no reason for talking down to people. Like I said, I grew up in an area that was pretty much 95% Hispanic. I consider myself fortunate. And my parents really strived to have us get that culture you know, ingrained in us as we were growing up. And it was something that was amazing for me. But it also helps when I go out to things. Because it's a beautiful culture and it's fun and it has just so much richness. And Absolutely. I love that hopefully the American culture can teach the Latino culture, you know, how things are here in the United States for dogs. You know, I've taught my parents a lot. My parents did not grow up being animal lovers or dog owners, but they both have dogs now um, and they <laughs> love their dogs. Yeah. I mean, the first thing they have to put in place is if I leave or if I'm going to go do something, what's going to happen with, you know, Hanny is my dad's dog, my dad's dog, and also is my mom's dog. And it's really neat to see that change. It is. And, you know, people think that we haven't come that far. Let's say in rescue, we we're, we're constantly feel like we're beating our head against the wall. And then I have to go back to my own history. Um, I grew, I'll date myself. I grew up in the 1970s. And my, my parents, one thing we always did, which may have been different from some people, was my mother would put you in the car and we'd go into actually the city of Fresno and go to the SPCA there and adopt animals. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I mean, we had a lot of animals. We, As children, we were allowed to have whatever we wanted as long as we cared for them. So my sister and I, we had everything you can think of. If, I mean, we had hermit crabs to, you know, <laughs> oh rabbits, horses, whatever. But um, awesome. the dogs, we, we adopted dogs twice that ended up pregnant. I mean, they were pregnant when we adopted them. Oh, okay. And you didn't know. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, just in, I'll say short period of time. It's not that short. But we went from that to now it's illegal for any, you know, shelter or rescue to adopt out animals unaltered. And and that's just a given for everybody. That's not even a, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that. I mean, that that is definitely something that's just now ingrained and it's accepted. And, and when you look at how far that's even come – 
from, like I said, going from that and with me growing up, it was mostly like, oh, there were ranch dogs, you know, they, we still petted them. We still loved them. They slept with me, but they were outside most of the time. And now I see people with their dogs in strollers. They're, they're putting clothes on them. You know, they're, yes. they have their own Instagrams. They, they, oh, there you go. Like children. Yes. <laughs> so to say things haven't changed is, is not correct because they've changed right so much. Absolutely. And there is hope that they can continue as long as we advocate and we just keep repeating the message and keep sharing stories and even the wonderful missions like Fresno Bully Rescue, you know, doing right by this breed that is so vilified, you know, in the media sometimes and in the news. Let's let's show people what they're really like. Right. Yes, absolutely. And I can always equate it to humans as well, which I mean, isn't, I mean, in this political environment is is insane right now. But um, when when you have a breed that's so vilified and when someone says, oh, pit bulls are all like this, like we were talking about earlier about them being individuals, it's hard for people to see past that negative stereotype, that negative, you know, stigma that they have. And it's just, it's a lot to overcome, but it's not impossible. We, like I said, we've, we've seen so many more families coming to adopt now um, with children, with other animals, and our adoptions are actually up so much. So used to be just, oh yeah, I mean... uh, when you came and visited us, we had we had good adoptions per year for this breed. Like, you know, all breed rescues can adopt out thousands per year. But we were adopting out, you know, a hundred and that was exciting, you know. And they're just, they just weren't seen as a dog that people wanted for their family. So now we're up to around 250 adoptions per year. Oh, that's great. Our, our poor adoption coordinator who works a regular full-time job. She is, uh, she's got her work cut out for her now, but, um, but it's incredible just to see the numbers increase every single year and, and to have people say good things about the breed and, and be advocates for them. It's, it's, it's so much different from when I started just, I I started in 2010 doing this. So, um, you know, just in the 11 years, it's, I've seen a huge difference and I'd like to think that we're part of making that difference, at least in our area. Absolutely. There's no question. And that you're a leader, you know, you're at the forefront of making these changes and working with people who are being proactive in changing laws and instilling, you know, those ordinances that you're talking about. I think all of it just, it makes me so happy (laughs) because we need it for this breed, especially (laughs) with your adoption process, since you're so thorough, making sure they do go to safe homes. Talk to me about the puppies because everybody loves the puppies. Sometimes people don't even realize, oh, this puppy could be Pitbull and they love it. And then it grows up and it's a big dog and they're like, oh my God, it could be Pitbull. I'm, I don't want it. How do you, you know, filter through all those applicants to make sure the puppies are going to those homes and are they spayed and neutered before they go to the home or how does that whole process work with FBR? Puppies are a different animal altogether. We actually have a very good follow-up process and a very good legal contract enforcement behind it. So- and you work at a at a law firm, so I do, I do. So it, it's a good contract, I'm sure. I'm quite sure a lot of people out there don't want to sign all of my waivers and everything <laughs> that I have out there, and probably think the contract is too long. But you know, I mean, we're I'm giving you a piece of me. I'm giving you a dog that I've put time into and that we all love. And I mean, all of us at the rescue love them so much. So yeah, we want to make sure that they're going to the very best place and that someone's going to love them and care for them the way we do. So a way to do 
do that is to make the process a little more stringent. I mean, you don't want to make it to where you don't have adopters, but uh, unlike some other rescues, which are not blaming them at all, you know, you need to get those dogs out into the community, into families. But we we feel just a little bit more responsibility because of the breed to have a little more of a rigorous process. So um, it's not too invasive, but we do require a home check. So the, the first part is someone will fill out an application and then we will do a home check to make sure that fences are secure and, and we'll give people time or we'll, we'll advise them on how to fix their fences or what kind of, you know, containment system can be used if they need to. So it's not an automatic disqualification, but um, we do do a home check to make sure that the home that they're in is going to be secure for them. Not only that, but to make sure that they are allowed inside and outside. We get so many that have just been chained up outside throughout their whole entire life and we refuse to have that be their future so Absolutely. they deserve so much more so we we require that they be inside and outside dogs and then after that if they have other animals in the home or children we make sure that sorry we have little pitter patter of feet coming down the hallway that's okay <laughs> that's my pitter patter of doggies is allowed it's, yes. a, it's the canine condition podcast after all <laughs> right exactly yes that's one of my babies yeah, we do the home check um, to make sure that the house is secure, make sure they're allowed inside and outside. And then if there's children in the home or other animals in the home, other pets, we do introductions and make sure that everybody gets along and everyone's doing well before they ever go home. So that could be just an hour long and you think the dogs are great or maybe we require two or three introductions to make sure that we feel like it's a good match for the dogs too, because too many people will take a dog home expecting their other dog or, you know, to, to be fine with it. And you really do have some major problems. We want to make sure that when you take a dog home, it's not a stressful experience. There's no negative experience that you want to take a dog home to love them and, and have add a, you know, a family member and have it, have it be a good time. You don't want to be stressful about getting along with other pets. So we do that as part of our adoption program. We don't allow them to go home without that introduction. We do adopt out of the county, out of the state, actually, at times. Oh, great. Yeah. As long as that home check is still done, we can either have a local veterinarian in someone's area or a local rescue or animal control agency that we can contact to go do that home check for us and tell them what we need. Oh, that's so great. Okay. Yeah. And in turn, we do home checks for other rescues here in our area, too. So it's reciprocal. We'll do it. We'll do it for other people as well. And as far as other pets in the home for families that are adopting, do you check to make sure they've been spayed and neutered and are up to date on all vaccines or prevention, things like that? It is. It is. And and some people actually don't like that, but that is one of our prerequisites. That's why I ask. It's funny. I've, I've heard that, you know. I've met people who just, they just don't want you to check anything, but they want to adopt a dog from you. And I just think to myself... How do you expect people to trust you if they don't know you at all? Exactly. And one of our big things is, of course, we're advocating for spay and neuter because in our area, we don't want to see so many animals being killed. So when someone kind of balks at that requirement, that is one of our requirements, that all other pets in the home be spayed or neutered, unless it's like livestock. I mean, if it's a horse or it's a, you know, right, right. Other dogs a gecko, and cats. we're not going to do that. <laughs> but, you know, it could be any animals like dogs and cats. 
Just to clarify. Yes, exactly. That's funny. So we ask that they all be spayed and neutered. That's one of our requirements. You know, but we've also had a lot of people, they want to adopt from us so much or they fall in love with a dog that they're willing to spay and neuter other pets in their home. And there you go. There's another spay and neuter. So there's another incentive for them to spay and neuter the pets that they already own if they're really looking and really fall in love with one of ours. We tell them, we, we stress this, not because we're trying to, you know, tell you what to do, but we stress this because this is the reason why I have so many dogs here that don't have homes and why so many, you have no idea how many I have to say no to and how many that I know are going to die. So that's something that I've taken on from my own heart, but we say no so much more often than we can say yes. And that's one of those things that don't want to do. That's a great segue into explaining to people why they should, you know, is explaining to them where we got these animals from and why. Right. Absolutely. And let me ask you, does the rescue continually need help with funding? And I mean, is this just an ongoing thing that I see most of the rescues? The answer is yes. How do donations help the mission of Fresno Bully Rescue? We always need funding. We have some very gracious, generous donors. We, we have a lot of people that donate. We, we in fact, have a program to where we're not like you have to do $20 a month or anything else like some of the ones that are on TV, not to disparage them, but that's just not what we do. We have a program where people could donate 50 cents a month. But, you know, if a thousand people donated 50 cents a month, then I, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it all adds up. So you don't have to have tons of money to help. I mean, it could be, I mean, $5 a year. If a thousand people did that, my, my word, you know, it, it all adds up. So we'd rather have more supporters and do that. And, and they just have more of a monthly type revenue because we do have full-time caretakers taking care of the dogs. Of course. Obviously, we have a shelter. We have 40 dogs. And it's quite a large facility now. So we definitely need, you know, the PG&E. We had a local business donate solar to us, which was incredible. Oh, that's awesome. I know. That's awesome. (laughs) I know. So we get a lot of community support, um, but we could always use more. And, And I always say it and people say, well, you shouldn't say that because we need money. Well, we do need money just as much. We want people's time. It's free, and the dogs love it so much. We we would rather oh, have yes. we'd rather have you volunteer your time rather than feel like because you cannot give monetarily, feel like you're not part of it or that you don't have something to give. You have something to give, and that's your heart. That's your kisses. That's your cuddles, and the dogs love it so much. And it's so good for them to have a, a wide mix of people coming out and and really loving on them. Maybe they haven't had that before, so it's important. And you know, you of course have your favorites, but it's important for them to know that all people that are interacting with them now are good right. and loving and because care for them. Every dog is going to be somebody's favorite. The more hands you have on there and the more boots on the ground, somebody's going to fall in love with each and every dog, you know. So Absolutely. there is somebody out there for that's wonderful. And do you have to deal with in in this county, do you have to face the problem of backyard breeders and or what people call reputable breeders of this breed as well? Is that a constant struggle? That is a constant struggle. We have we have so many backyard breeders and I try to explain to them if I meet them out, let's say at something, they'll say, Oh, your dog's beautiful, you know, I'd love to, you know, have have my female, you know, and oh, I'm like, gosh, No, 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 you you're not understanding what I'm doing here. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one thing that always gets said. And, and I'm like, okay, but that's also an opportunity, right? So can explain to them. Yeah, that's a good outlook that you have, actually. Yeah, I mean, and every opening like that is an opportunity, whether I want to just come out of my skin or not. I've had so many. And I'm like, when there's 100 Pitbull puppies on Craigslist, are, can you even get $20 for it? Can you even get $20 for a puppy? I'm like, I, I don't understand. Is it monetary? Is it just like prestige of having these dogs or, or what is it? So I really try to get in their heads. But then we just have a lot of irresponsible people. We have a lot of people that just don't care. Oh, you know, well, my brother took a puppy and my brother's cousin wants a puppy. and and But none of those puppies are getting spayed and neutered. And it just adds up so quickly. So we, we do have a lot of backyard breeders of, of several breeds. Pit bulls have always been overpopulated in our area. But now more popular breeds becoming more popular and our Huskies and German Shepherds. Those are super popular in our area right now. And you can always gauge what's popular by what's in the shelter. Our shelters are inundated with, you know, Huskies, with German Shepherds and Pit Bulls and Chihuahuas. We have a lot of Chihuahuas. I always tell people, you know, everyone says, oh, you probably hate breeders. And I, I don't hate anyone. In, in fact, you know, if, if, if you're in Fresno County and you want to breed, you know, Brussels Griffon, go for it. You know, because number one, probably all your pups are going to be taken before they're even born. And, and it's not a breed that I can throw a rock on the street and hit. You know what I mean? I, I could throw a rock <laughs> on the street out here and hit a pit bull, you know, and there's just so many. So it's, it's supply and demand. And one thing that I think we focus so much on the actual backyard breeders, the irresponsible breeders, the, the things like that. One thing where I'd like to see us put more focus and makes more sense to me is on the demand. If the demand wasn't there, the supply would dry up. There, there's such a small percentage still in the entire United States that adopt their pets. So when you look at, let's say someone posts something on social media, they've got seven cute puppies. I, I can just scroll through and how much, how much for that puppy? Oh, I love that puppy. I want that puppy for my daughter. There's probably a hundred people interested in those puppies. If that wasn't happening, the supply side would be a lot easier to deal with. So I think we try to like demonize breeders, which I am, of course, I don't hate them, but I, I definitely have some real issues with it when we have 30,000, when we have 30,000 animals just in our county killed every year. Absolutely. Just for space. But like I said, we really need to work on both equally. And I think even more so maybe the demand. We, we need to put it out there that shelter dogs are not broken. Shelter dogs are not, you know, uh, there's nothing wrong with them. You can find good breeds at the shelter. You can find even pure breeds at, at the shelter. You really can yes, if, you're, if you, you wait can. long enough or if you look hard enough. And maybe let's stop putting focus on those breeds and let's put a focus where it should be, just like with humans. Let's not focus on the outside. Let's focus on the companion side of what this animal should be for you. The bond and that special yeah, place in your I heart think, that they will. I mean, it's human nature. I love the way that Doberman looks. Always beautiful. Of course I want him because I want a beautiful dog. I, I can't fault people for that. But what I can do is explain that that dog is no different than this shelter dog that is a complete mutt in, in what they give you 
for your heart, you know, for your emotional side, for your support, that sort of thing. I I wish we would focus more on that rather than the aesthetics, but that's human nature. So we have to work with that. But like I said, I would love it more demand side work. I love that you're saying if people could just focus on, you know, the inside maybe versus the outside per se, like we do with humans, you know, we, we don't look at a human and you don't have to judge the person by their appearance, but get to know who they really are as a person. And with dogs, it's like, can't you just put on your golden doodle eyes or your lab retriever eyes? Because yes. they are all such beautiful, unique individuals, mm-hmm. and they will touch your heart and move you in ways you just don't expect if you just open up to that. Absolutely. I have said it before, and I'll, I'll say it a million times. Just everyone says, well, they're just a dog. Well, then you've never had that connection because there's no way that I believe that they are just a dog. They they give so much. And like I said, people say emotional support animals. You don't have to have a piece of paper. These guys are that every day. And every they just, day. yep. And, and they help in so many ways, service dogs, you know, medical dogs. When you see what they do in hospitals as far as therapy and stuff, it's, it's incredible. And that can't be dismissed. Absolutely. I want to thank you so much for the advocacy and for everything that you and the Fresno Bully Rescue family does to advocate for this breed and, you know, just to educate everybody. And I even learn something. Every time I get to chat with you, I learn something which makes me so happy because I want to keep passing this message along. So tell us, where can our listeners find and follow Fresno Bully Rescue on social media? Sure. On social media, we're more predominantly on Facebook and Instagram. And those are just Fresno Bully Rescue. All three words, pretty long, but both of those are just Fresno Bully Rescue. And then we're also on Twitter, but to a lesser degree. Then we do have our website, and that's www.fresnobullyrescue.org. So a lot of people go to .com, there isn't. So it's .org. And there you can find, you know, you can click on our social media from there. It'll take you right to it. Perfect. And just to make it really easy, I will have those live links in the show notes for this episode so anyone can find and follow Fresno Bully Rescue. And our listeners should know that I am not getting paid to advocate for any one organization on this podcast. I choose to interview guests from organizations that I know are doing the good work for dogs and for people across America. Fresno Bully Rescue has the canine condition seal of approval from me. Thank you so much, Becky, for this lovely conversation and, again, for sharing all your knowledge with us. Well, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. It's really a pleasure. All right. Take care. (laughs) You too. Our humanity can always impact another being in the most positive way. So I invite you to reach out in whatever way you can to Fresno Bully Rescue, because they will welcome you with open arms. As Becky reminded us, you have something to give. That's your heart, your kisses, your cuddles, and the dogs love it so much. Thank you for joining me on this episode. Please press subscribe on our podcast. Y para nuestra audiencia que también habla español, les agradecemos todo lo que hacen por nuestros compañeros caninos y les pido que apoyen a Fresno Bully Rescue. Hasta la próxima. Until next time, hang on to those leashes. The canine condition. Come, sit, stay. Stay.